The order of the Senate, please. Please raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this oath, this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you're about to enter, so help you God. I do. I do. Congratulations. The last votes were still being counted in California last November, and the political gurus were already talking about seeing Kamala Harris' name on a 2020 for president bumper sticker. The state's former attorney general has been California's junior U.S. senator for only a month, and already she's been navigating through the most contentious presidential debut in modern times. Harris has been out, outspoken, and visible. She ran into her mother's best friend at the January Women's March. And on Monday, protesting what she called a Muslim ban, she joined protesters in front of the White House. Since this interview, she's pledged a no vote to President Trump's education secretary nominee, and more cabinet votes are yet to come. Nothing like plunging right into the deep end. Well, what about the events of this weekend? This um, administration, in its first 10 days, has shown that this president has no desire to reach out and, um, and work with anyone to make progress. And just think about the last 10 days. Uh, in the last 10 days, he has threatened the health care for millions of Californians, much less um, tens of millions of people around the country in terms of um, his desire to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Uh, this, this executive action on Friday it has created incredible uncertainty and, and pain uh, for refugees who are trying to flee uh, harm. Um, he stuck or wants to stick taxpayers with a tab for a border wall. Uh, he has implemented measures that will make it difficult for women to access health care around the world with this global gag rule. He is doing exactly what he told us he would do. You know, got to love Maya Angelou. She said it years ago. you got to listen to people when they tell you who they are the first time. He told us who he is. Some people wanted to dismiss it as campaign rhetoric. Well, it turns out it wasn't just campaign rhetoric. He meant it, and he's doing it. And that means we have to fight, and we have to stand up, and, um, and we have to fight for the best of who we are as a country. What does that mean for the Senate Democrats? Do you fight on every front, or do you pick your battles? I, you know, I think that where we can obviously work together, we should do that. But on these issues, I see no opportunity to work together. I refuse to work with an administration that is going to shut our borders to people who are fleeing harm. I refuse to work and, and, and cooperate with the idea that we are going to break our promise to the tens of thousands of dreamers who we promised if you, if, if you sign up for this, we will defer deportation, and we will not share that information with ICE. I don't plan on going back on that word. Um, we have to keep our word. And, you know, so there, there are just some things that we cannot cooperate on when the premise and the, and the starting point is so utterly unreasonable, not to mention probably in some of these cases unconstitutional. So does that mean that unless X is changed that uh, you and maybe some of your Senate colleagues will simply say no to whatever comes down? So far, yes. So far, I'm saying no, simply no. Let's look at the issue of what we're doing around repealing the Affordable Care Act without any plan for replacement. 
I'm not going to work with repeal without replacement. Uh, there is no way that we can work with an administration that is is going to shut our borders um, to immigrants, period, um, because they come from Mexico. I can't work with that. can't work with anyone who's going to deny that, um, that climate change is, is a scientific fact. Where we can work together, I hope to do that. You talked to Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly and said this goes against our values. What did he say? Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the detail of my conversation with him, um, but I will tell you that um, the, the bottom line is that I insisted that we would um, comply with the court orders. There are three court orders at this point. Um, collectively, they have ordered a stay on the executive order. However, uh, the Department of Homeland Security continues to detain people, which is in violation of that stay. Um, the second is an order that the Department of Homeland Security released the names of anyone who could be impacted by the order. The Department of Homeland Security has failed to comply with that, and that's outrageous. It's a court of law, courts of law in the United States of America have issued rulings based on the Constitution, based on the law, and those rulings must be complied with. And failure to do so, um, in my opinion, you know, invites sanctions. You want to talk about sanctions? As a lawyer, as a former attorney general of California, you failed to comply with a court order, there should be some kind of um, repercussion. People have talked already about a constitutional crisis this early. Do you see that? You know, I, I, see, I think we could be headed towards a constitutional crisis, certainly. It's about the fundamental principles that were the, 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 the basis for the, for the founding of our country. Those words spoken in 1776 that we are all and should be treated as equals. Those words that were behind freedom of association, freedom of religion. Um, we, we have to fight for who we are as a country. And this administration is veering away from all of those fundamental principles, ideals that make us great. And this is a time to fight for the ideals of our country. And... Um, you know, I, I say that 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 fight we must. You know, that there's this. You know, he wants to talk about make America great again. The way you make America great is you fight for our ideals. And right now, our ideals are under attack. Now you're on the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, the Select Committee on Intelligence. What would you like to see your committee do vis-a-vis -vis the questions of Russian involvement in the election? what we need to do through the Select Committee on Intelligence in terms of a thorough and fact-based investigation on the role that Russia played in our election. And um, as the intelligence community has concluded, Russia deliberately attempted to undermine public faith in our democratic process. And that should be uh, something that causes everyone in our country concern. Nominees for cabinet positions still must be confirmed. Talk about who you voted against and why. Well, let's see. I'm, off the top of my head, the list of nominees that have come before me in terms of my committees um, have included uh, uh, Pompeo, um, who is, has been confirmed as the new director of the CIA. I did not vote in favor of his nomination. We also had before my committee, um, General Kelly for the Department of Homeland Security. I asked him a number of times in various ways on the record to 
to indicate that he would honor our country's promise to the uh, DACA kids, our dreamers, and he failed um, to commit to keeping our promise, and I could not vote for his confirmation for that reason. Scott Pruitt has been up for um, secretary of the EPA, and I asked him very um, pointed questions about his um, belief in the science of climate change and also if he would honor California's laws where we have received exemption from federal standards because our standards are higher. And he could not make a promise to me that he would um, comply with those going forward. In your opening statement, you write, it is not EPA's mission to be against sectors of industry in general or against particular states. Will you commit then to upholding that same standard and recognizing California's authority to issue its own new motor vehicle air pollution standards? You know, Senator, as, as you indicated, California was actually regulating those standards before the, the EPA was actually created, which is why the California waiver exists under statute. Do you agree but, to uphold that same standard that has been held by your previous I agree previous to review that as administrators. E each administrator before me has. It's, it's been granted at times. Do you agree to uphold it? Reviewing and upholding are two different points. What about Stephen Mnuchin, the Goldman Sachs executive and the Treasury secretary-designate? Your attorney general's office here declined to sue him over his One West Bank and its foreclosure practices. We are um, hearing from a lot of Californians about that, and um, I intend to, to definitely uh, do a critical analysis of, of him as a, a candidate. Uh, you know, California was hit harder than any state in terms of the numbers um, on the foreclosure crisis. You know, I've traveled up and down the state meeting with homeowners who lost their homes and who were just horribly impacted by that crisis. And I, I'm, I'm concerned about and critical, frankly, of, of what his role might have been in that process. Some of your Republican colleagues have denounced the idea of reintroducing torture and parts of the travel ban. Senator John Thune said the torture ban is settled law, and Senator Jeff Flake says it's unacceptable when even permanent legal residents are turned away. Is this perhaps an opening to a realignment of alliances that are not Republican versus Democrat, but one branch of government, the legislative, standing in opposition to another, the executive branch? Hmm. I, think that, I think you're presenting a, a really interesting um, possibility. Um, I've been heartened to see in the last few days that some prominent Republicans have, have spoken out. You know, John McCain. Um, Lindsey Graham, you know, have been, um, you know, I think quite honest and courageous. Some of these issues really are about who we are as a country, and they shouldn't be thought of as partisan issues. Certainly, it would be wonderful to, um, to get to a point where Democrats and Republicans can stand together um, in solidarity around the importance of just certain principles and, 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 and the ideals of who we are as a country, which should transcend party affiliation or any one administration. Um, that would be, I think, a very strong statement to the people of our country and the people around the world that um, we, have certain, we have certain lines that when they're crossed, we're all going to stand together regardless of party affiliation. President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court won't be happening until after you and I talk. But are there any guidelines that you're, you have in mind as far as confirmation or rejection is concerned? as the former attorney general of, of our state, um, I actually had a role and responsibility to review the governor's appointments um, 
of, of judges mm-hmm. and, and members of the judiciary. And based on my experience of doing this, um, I'm going to look at the nominee's background, both um, in terms of their life experience, in terms of um, any opinions that they have written and, and what they have written and how, you know, their, their, their orientation in terms of, of, of issues. Um, I am certainly going to look at, at where they have um, taken a position on, on issues like choice and Roe v. Wade, um, issues like uh, immigration and um, DACA, for example, um, issues like climate change, um, issues that relate to collective bargaining rights, uh, issues that relate to public to financing elections, and you know, such as Citizens United. Here's the one thing I know: had the United States Supreme Court not decided Brown v. Board of Education, I would not be on the phone with you right now. I would not have been District Attorney of San Francisco or Attorney General of California. The, the decisions that are made by the United States Supreme Court have a profound impact in real lives in a very substantial and significant way. And um, I can think of, of nothing more important than the importance of evaluating um, the nominees for the United States Supreme Court and weighing in in a very loud and strong way, because whoever ends up on this court could have impact on our country for generations, truly for generations. Uh, Senator, after the November 8th election, the Democrats were just gobsmacked by the results. What does it say about the state of the party that within a week or two of the presidential election 2016, your name was being bandied about for the presidential election of 2020? There there was a lot that happened during the course of the election. I'll leave it to the pundits to analyze exactly what it all meant. But in terms of the state of the Democratic Party, I, I strongly believe that uh, the, the commitment that we are all making as we go forward, at, you know, post-11-8, which is what I call it, <laughs> in this post-11-8 world, uh, we have to recommit ourselves to some of the, the fundamental um, uh, principles and priorities of, of the Democratic Party, including coalition building. We must rededicate ourselves to that, which means um, bringing all of, all of who we are as Americans together but bringing together, you know, Latinos and African Americans and, and, and women and people who care about choice and people who care about the environment and people who care about labor and people who care about children's issues. When people wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning concerned about something, it is never through the lens of them being a Democrat or a Republican. And, in fact, it usually has something to do with their health, the health of their children, can they keep a roof over their head? Are they going to be able to retire with dignity? And we're going to have to get back to, to really all of us remembering that. And we have to speak to where they are, and we have to see them and understand the lives that they are actually living. So why your name in that context, you think? I don't know why my name is in that context. I'm focused on being the, the junior senator from California and very proud to be um, at representing our, our beautiful state. Did you have any advice or suggestions for your successor, uh, Javier Becerra, as attorney general, apart from things like don't open the window after 4 o'clock because the traffic (laughs) noise is terrible? We've had many conversations and meetings. You know, again, in this post-11-8 world, the the role of the attorney general of California, as it's always been, is going to be about being a a voice for California, but also a voice for the country um, around all of these issues that we've discussed.
whether it be immigration, whether it be criminal justice reform, whether it be climate change, all of those responsibilities um, rightly fall on the shoulders of the Attorney General of California. You were a college mail clerk intern in the office that you now <laughs> work in. I'm, this, is, this is like Hollywood. You know, you start in the mail room, <laughs> yeah. you end up in the executive suite. I was a sophomore at Howard University, and I applied with uh, a lot of kids to be uh, – it was considered a really prestigious job to be a summer United States Senate intern, and I got accepted. I started by working in the mailroom of then-senior senator from California, Alan Cranston. And who would have thunk it? I, I am now um, I am now the U.S. senator from California. <laughs> Thank you, Senator Kamala Harris. Thank you so much, Pat. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The video is from WhiteHouse.gov of then-Vice President Joe Biden swearing in Senator Kamala Harris. And it's C-SPAN video of the confirmation hearing for EPA nominee Scott Pruitt. I am Pat Morrison. Thank you.